Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sunday Shomari sitting in for Sonny Young in Washington. Last week, Manchester City defended the Premier League title, lift a fourth league trophy in five seasons. And as the celebrations continue, Man City literally is striking deals with new strikers. The club is reaching agreement in principle with Borussia Dortmund for the transfer of Norwegian star striker Erling Haaland. On Monday, Man City chairman Kaldun Al-Mubarak said he's delighted. His club will officially acquire Haaland on July 1st. We have in Haaland uh, arguably the, the, the best number nine in the world uh, at the right age. Uh, with a, you know, when you look at the next 10, 15 years, you know, in Holland, we have invested in the, that striker for the future. I mean, he is a very, very unique, um, incredibly talented striker that I think the whole world uh, has, um, has been looking at. And, and I would say any, every big team in the world uh, wanted Holland to join, and, and we're delighted, uh, absolutely delighted that... Um, Haaland uh, chose to, to join Manchester City. Argentine Julian Alvarez has spent a five-and-a-half deal with Man City and will join the club following his long term at River Plate. Al-Mubarak had nothing but praise for the 22-year-old striker and confirmed his club will sign more quality players before the start of next season. In Alvarez, uh, I think we found one of the most talented young strikers in, in South America. I can confirm, confirm that there will be more players uh, coming in. Um, we are um, looking to strengthen the team in the areas that we need strengthening. As you know, uh, every season some, ple- some, some players leave and, and we have to continuously refresh the team. We have reached a, a level of quality, a standard, in which we cannot and will not compromise on quality. If we find the right player for that particular uh, position, we will get that player. And if not, Pep has shown us that he will find solutions uh, within the quality of the, of the group we have and within the quality of what we have at the academy. So we have so much talent uh, available in the squad and in the academy. And when we need something, it's very specific and it's uh, very deliberate. And if we're able to bring that particular player, great. And if we're not, it doesn't mean that anybody else can fill it. We, we, we are in a different uh, uh, paradigm from, the, from, that, from that perspective. Earlier, I spoke with my VOA colleague, Omari Kaseko, the VOA Saudi Service Executive TV producer, about the latest in football transfer news and to get his reaction to Manchester City's signing of striker, Erlen Haaland. First of all, I think uh, this is exciting for Premier League um, and for the fans of Premier League, actually, to have... Uh, uh, one of the most promising players uh, in Europe right now, Erling Brought Haaland. Uh, Erling Haaland has been playing really well, and uh, one thing you can be guaranteed by signing Haaland is uh, goals. This guy can score goals. Uh, this guy has a lot of uh, time ahead of him to improve, um, a lot of years ahead of him. So 
think this is a very good signing for someone who is just 21 years old, who has been proving year after year in Borussia Dortmund that he can score goals. So this will set up uh, a different, I would say a different way in a transfer market. I mean, because signings like this can actually change the market in a good and bad way. Um, when you say good and bad way, can you elaborate on that? Yes. So Manchester City will be stronger team with Haaland, but you're looking at teams like Borussia Dortmund, you're looking at other teams in uh, in Premier League, how can they compete with uh, teams like Manchester City when you know for sure they can go out and buy uh, expensive players like Ellen Haaland. So um, do other teams have a chance to compete? Uh, actually, the answer is no. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to have a big transfer kit to be able to compete with teams like Manchester City who can go up there and buy expensive players like Erling Haaland. And when you say that now Manchester City are the champions, of course, and they're on top of their game right now. And uh, talking about coming of uh, Alan Haaland, He's facing Premier League football. He's coming from Bundesliga. How does this change his situation or how does that fit in, you think? He can fit in easily. I mean, of course, when you come from Bundesliga to Premier League, it's a different kind of league. I think Premier League is more intensive. But you look at the way Erling Haaland plays, uh, you can say uh, it should be fine for him. I mean, he should be able to fit in and, and play the way he plays. Um, now, it may take uh, maybe uh, one or two seasons for him to establish himself. So, you know, you remember that you are moving to a different country, you know, different atmosphere, uh, different teammates. So it takes time to adjust and be able to understand what the coach wants. You know, uh, Ellen Haaland has never been coached by someone like Pep Guardiola. So, of course, it's going to take time to be able to play the way Pep Guardiola um, wants him to play. But uh, make no mistake, uh, this is one of the best signings that uh, Manchester City have done. Uh, this guy has talent. This guy can score goals from every angle. Uh, this is a very, very, very good player. Okay, switching gears now, we are talking about uh, Sadio Mane, his desire of leaving Liverpool. Now, what do we expect from this news about Sadio Mane living and what's going to happen here, you think, for the future of Sadio Mane himself and also for the Liverpool team? So the news that we're hearing right now is uh, Sadio Mane wants to go to Bayern Munich. Um, and uh, it's it's difficult to understand this signing, uh, but we... Uh, we are not Sadio Mane, so of course we don't know what's happening uh, inside his head. But uh, there's, a, there's a sense that Sadio Mane isn't appreciated in Liverpool uh, the way maybe Mo Salah is appreciated. Um, people think that way. I mean, it may be true, it may not be true. Uh, but Sadio Mane, <clears throat> I think he wants a new challenge. I think he has been in England for five, maybe six seasons. He gave a he gave uh, his all to Liverpool, right? So mm-hmm. he may want a new ch- challenge, and uh, he wants to test himself somewhere else. Um, the Premier League is intensive, um, 
Sadio Mane is not one of the most, uh, you know, highly paid player in the world. So he may want that. I mean, he's looking and he's saying, I'm 30 years old, that, you know, I need the best uh, uh, paycheck that I can get. So that may be also the reason. Um, <clears throat> but he simply wants, uh, wants a new challenge, I believe. Um, that's what we're hearing. Uh, he wants to go somewhere else where maybe he feels like he can settle, he can be more appreciated, and, you know, he can play at the best level. But, uh, Bayern Munich is one of the best teams in the world. Year after year, we have seen Bayern Munich. I mean, this is a team that you expect to see, to see them win uh, UEFA. Champions League quarterfinals, semifinals. I mean, uh. Bayern Munich is there, so it's it's a good team. But we don't know. I mean, we just have to wait to see how this transfer uh, materializes. But I still think it's uh, it's a very difficult transfer. I mean, not many teams can buy a player of that caliber. Uh, Sadio Mane is one of the best players in the world right now and he has done a lot from uh, Senegal national team to, to Liverpool but this also is going to be a loss for, for, for Liverpool I, feel, I think because you know Sadio Mane is one of the key players uh, in that setup that uh, Jürgen Klopp is doing so I don't know how bad it's going to be for Liverpool because Liverpool will go out and buy more players and you know players who can fit there but I, I still think Sadio Mane is, uh, is going to be a big loss for him. Absolutely. And now Sadio Mane looking forward maybe to replace the one and only Corey Lewandowski who wants to leave. Now, what do you think about Corey Lewandowski leaving Bayern Munich? This is another finding that is uh, uh, shocking uh, people, actually. Um, Lewandowski came out and said, uh, my era... Uh, uh, with Bayern is over. Uh, I don't expect to continue playing uh, uh, with Bayern Munich colors, you know. So <clears throat> I think this is very difficult because uh, Lewandowski, it's open now that he wants to join Barcelona. Um, and Barcelona will have to agree a fee with uh, Bayern Munich. Um, but we are seeing now is Bayern Munich is reluctant. They don't really understand why Lewandowski wants to go. Um, and uh, this is a team who has uh, people who actually can say, you know, you're going to have to finish uh, the contract here. So we really don't know. Um, but uh, I think he has uh, put his effort. I mean, in there, he wants to he wants to push uh, the move. I mean, he came out publicly and said that I want to go. So this is something that is playing publicly, which is uh, very unusual mm -hmm. in a big transfer like this. This transfer goes through and he happened to go to Barcelona. Barcelona is getting one of the best players in the world, someone who could even got Ballon d'Or last season. I think this transfer may happen because uh, Lewandowski is trying to push this transfer. Who do you replace there? It's difficult for Bayern Munich because you're losing someone who can score 50 goals a season, and that's not an easy thing to replace. That was my colleague Omari Kaseko speaking to me in Washington. I'm VOA's Sunday Shamari, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports. Hi, this is Larry London, the host of VOA's Border Crossings, where we feature music and interviews along with your favorite artists from around the world. Rain on me. Tune in.
in and interact live with us here in Washington, D.C. Hello, Shireen. Hello, Larry. Good. How are you tonight? Border Crossings comes to you Monday through Friday at 1500 UTC GMT. And to all our listeners, just a reminder that we have moved our programs to voaafrica.com. There, you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Liverpool chairman Tom Werner has demanded an apology from the French sports minister. Sports minister Amiel Odea Castera said fans with fake tickets and the club's handling of Liverpool supporters led to the trouble that marred Saturday's Champions League final. The match at the Stade de France, which Real Madrid won 1-0, was delayed by more than a half an hour after police tried to hold off people, trying to force their way into the ground. French police tear-gassed some fans, including children. Warner hit back late on Monday in a letter to Odea Castera, describing her comments as irresponsible, unprofessional, and wholly disrespectful to the fans affected. Tomorrow, qualifying play kicks off for the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations in the Ivory Coast in Luanda, Angola. Takes on Central African Republic. In Benghazi, Libya, faces Botswana. And in Cape Town, it will be Ghana versus Madagascar. The qualifying round ends June 13. Looking ahead to the FIFA World Cup, Rwandan official Salima Mukatsanga is one of the first three women referees selected for the Men's World Cup. She will join Yoshimi Yamashita from Japan and Stephanie Frappat from France, officiating in the Qatar when the World Cup kicks off later in November. And as three female referees are set to take the World Cup history, FIFA president Gianni Infantino estimates that a record 5 billion people around the world will be watching. VOA's Gwen Uten tells us how the upcoming tournament will be won for the history books. The 2022 FIFA World Cup will be the first to take place at the end of the year and the first to be held in the Middle East. Earlier this month, FIFA President Gianni Infantino recalled the inspiring words of the late South African President Nelson Mandela that sports can change the world. And he added over half the world's population will be watching this year's tournament. Mandela was saying that sport can change the world, that it can inspire, that it unites. And definitely he was, was right with that. And football as the most popular sport in the world has a unique reach. This World Cup in Qatar will be watched by 5 billion people, way above half of the world population. Infantino made his comments at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, where he outlined why he expects the coming tournament to attract an unprecedented global audience. Well, what is so special about football? I think every single one of these five billion people has probably his own answer to that, uh, to that particular question. Uh, but of course, if you, if you analyze it maybe a little bit more in depth, uh, you realize that football is actually quite unique. It has different different dimensions. Uh, We are here at the World Economic Forum, so football has definitely an economic dimension. It has a social dimension as well, and then it has an emotional dimension. Uh, Maybe on the the economic dimension, because it's also an important element of it, and maybe many people don't don't know that, actually. You know, the 
The economy of football on a global scale has a gross output of around 200 billion a year. A gross value added of around 150 billion. That's 200 a year. billion US dollars. US dollars. Amazing. US dollars. So imagine the potential, the economic potential that there is around the world. This year's World Cup will take place in Qatar, the smallest nation to hold soccer's biggest event. Qatar spent billions of dollars to build eight state-of-the-art stadiums in and around the capital city, Doha. And in light of those infrastructure projects, an area of concern leading up to the tournament has been the issue of workers' rights. In 2021, The Guardian published a report that revealed more than 6,500 migrant workers from South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa died in the decades since Qatar was awarded hosting rights. And many of those deaths were directly linked to the construction of World Cup stadiums. Rights groups, including Amnesty International, have called on FIFA to allot over $400 million to compensate migrant workers who were exposed to forced labor, unpaid wages, and excessive working hours during World Cup preparations. Gianni Infantino maintains human rights protections are a top priority for FIFA and that the governing body has helped give migrant workers, quote, dignity and pride despite allegations of human rights abuses. Qatar is the first Muslim state to host the World Cup. And during the World Economic Forum, Qatar's Amir Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Althani addressed what he calls unprecedented attacks from those who refuse to accept that the tournament will be held in an Arab country. For decades now, the Middle East has suffered from discrimination. And I have found out that such discrimination is largely based on people not knowing us and in some cases refusing to get to know us. Even today, there are still people who cannot accept the idea that an Arab Muslim country would host a tournament like the World Cup. Qatar is just like your own country. Not perfect, constantly trying to improve and full of hope for a brighter future. We are so proud of the development reform and progress we have made. And we are grateful for the spotlight that the World Cup provided, which inspired us to make these changes at a lightning speed. I assure everyone listening that this edition of the World Cup will be a special one. The Emir added that the people of Qatar and the region are excited to showcase their ancient culture and hospitality to the entire world. This year's World Cup tournament is set to kick off on November 21st, and the final match will take place on Qatar National Day on December 18th. Thanks, Gwen. Moving from the pitch to the court. Basketball fans in the U.S. are getting ready for the National Basketball Association Finals this week. Golden State Warriors head coach Stephen Carr told journalists his team's face-off with Boston Celtics will be special. Anybody um, with a subjective point of view would tell you that the Celtics and the Lakers are the, the two biggest brands in the game. And um, they, they each have the... Uh, the most history um, to their franchises. Uh, there's um, just something about 
playing in Boston that feels special uh, every year. We, you know, we only play there once a year in the regular season, but it always feels like a special game. Their, their fans love the game. There's a great energy in there. Um, the green and white jerseys, it's, it's classic NBA stuff. So um, it's exciting to be playing them. The Warriors go into game one as the favorites after sailing past the Dallas Mavericks in five games to reach their sixth NBA Finals in eight years. The best of seven series tips off Thursday in San Francisco. In the world of tennis, Britain's two-time Wimbledon champion Andy Murray told the BBC on Monday that the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas made him angry. He said survivors' account of the incident was similar to his own experience in the 1996 Dan Blaine massacre in Scotland. An 18-year-old gunman, armed with a semi-automatic rifle, stormed an elementary school in Texas last week, killing 19 children and two teachers. Look, it was obviously terrible. It's unbelievably upsetting. Um, yeah, it makes you makes you angry that you know. I think there's been over like 200 mass shootings in America this year and nothing changes. I can't understand that and children shouldn't, that shouldn't be happening to children. Parents shouldn't be having to send their children to school and feel worried about something like that happening. And, you know, I get over there, like, it's always, there's always talk about it being something political, but I just, I, I don't see how, how it is. Like, I don't think anyone wants to see things like that, that happening. And, my feeling is that like surely at some stage you do something different like you can't keep approaching you know the the problem you know by buying more guns and having more guns in the country like i don't see how that 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 solves it so but i could be wrong you know but let's maybe try something different and see see if you get a different outcome um but yeah it's obviously unbelievably sad and disappointing and you know yeah, it just makes you feel feel angry and incredibly upset for the the parents. And I, I heard something on the radio the other day, and it was a child from that school, you know, and I experienced a similar thing when I was at Dunblane and a teacher, like, you know, coming out and waving all of the children, like, under tables and telling them to go and hide. And it was a kid, like, telling exactly the same story about how she survived it and... They were, they were saying that they go through these drills, like, as young children, as, like, seven, eight-year-old children, and it's like, how? Like, how is that normal that children should be having to go through drills, like, in case someone comes into school with a gun? I, I don't get it. Just, yeah, it's just really, really upsetting, and hope, hope they make some changes. Murray also commented on the decision to strip Wimbledon off its ranking points by ATP and WTA tours. And in terms of the points, ATP removing the points from Wimbledon, I just I don't think it's what the majority of the players wanted, I, and I'm not quite sure who it, who actually benefits because I think all of the players will still turn up and play. So, not sure how beneficial it is. Wimbledon had its ranking points taken away by the men's ATP and women's WTA after the grass court major excluded players from Russia and Belarus because of Russian version of Ukraine. I know that. Um, all of the players that show up to play there will be wanting to, to go out there and, you know, perform and, and, and win, win Wimbledon. Um, I give every ranking point I've ever won in my career back um, to, to win another Grand Slam or another Wimbledon. It's, you know, yes, 
I understand why the rankings are, are, are important, but I think that you know, a tournament like Wimbledon is, is bigger than that. And um, that's why I think all the players will still show up and play. And, you know, especially the, the top ones that are fighting for, you know, records and everything. Um, people won't remember how many ranking points Novak Djokovic had at the end of his career. They'll remember how many Grand Slams he won. Still on the tennis court, Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic wrap up the action tonight in the quarterfinals of the French Open. It will be the 59th career meeting between the two players with a combined 41 Grand Slam single titles. The two renew their 16-year rivalry with a semi-final spot at stake. Nadal, who turns 36 on Friday, puts his record of 109 wins and just three losses in Paris since 2005 on the line against the defending champion. Italy's Martina Trevisan reached her first Grand Slam semi-final on Tuesday with a straight-sets win over Canada's Leila Fernandez. World number 59, Trevisan downed the 17th-seeded Canadian, a fellow left-hander, 6-2-6-7-6-3. The 28-year-old will face either Coco Gauff or Sloman Stevens for their place in the final. And VOA is a Sunday Shamari in Washington, and you're listening to the Sunny Side of Sports. Friends, we can all listen to the Sunny Side of Sports. Yes, my friend. I'm Sonny Young in Washington, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Voice of America! The International Table Tennis Federation, ITTF, Africa Cup Tournament, has ended in Lagos, Nigeria. 14 countries from the continent took part in the tournament. A top official of the ITF says the Africa Cup Tournament serves as qualifiers for the World Table Tennis Cup Finals, scheduled for Chengdu, China, in September. Wahido Shodi is the vice president of the International Table Tennis Federation. He spoke to Iron Mike Mbonye about the Africa Cup tournament. He says the future of the game in Africa is bright with the quality of young players discovered at the tournament. The Africa Cup serves as uh, the qualifiers for the World Table Tennis Cup finals, which comes up later in the year. It also assists the Africa Table Tennis Federation to improve the ranking of African players and, you know, identifying the best among them. What are some of the highlights of the event? For instance, how many players took part and from which countries? Uh, This was a tournament that consisted of 48 players in male and female, 28 men and 20 women from Egypt, from Nigeria, Togo, both Congo Democratic, Congo Brazzaville, Algeria, Tunisia, Ghana, Senegal, Ethiopia, Cameroon, Kenya, and Cote d'Ivoire. All top-class players of Africa were here, and um, it was a very exciting tournament. In the final of the women's game, 14-year-old Hannah Goda from Egypt claimed her first senior title after defeating Nigeria's Fatimo Bello. What's the implication of this for the game in Africa? Well, 
you know, this is the tournament. And I got her beating Fatima Bila of Nigeria, 14-year-old. Um, she's, you know, coming into our own now. She's been a revelation for the last two, three years. We've all talked about how good she is, how good she can become. And nothing, you know, seems to be able to stop her. World number one in under 15 and under 17. And Agoda is the future of African table tennis. And the beauty of this is that there are a lot of young players from different countries across the continent doing very well. That, that means, you know, the older players are inspiring these young players to, to get on board very quickly. And the quicker we, you know, they start playing, the quicker the coaches can work with them and bring their talent to fruition. So, I think the future is very bright for African table tennis with the quality of what we've seen in this tournament and with the quality of young, young, young players coming through now. Um, people like Aaron Quadrio, Maasa, um, they've been a great inspiration. Dina Meshre from Kershaw IK. But, you know, um, we've now seen that it, it, this is, it's likely that more younger people will come in and do well over the next few years. That was Wahid Oshodi, Vice President of the International Table Tennis Federation. He spoke with reporter Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Lagos, Nigeria. Taking a look at international squash, women's defending world champion Nur El Sherbini eased past Belgium's Nels Gillis with a 3-0 victory in her title defense at the Algun International Quarterfinals. Men's world champion Ali Farag advanced to the quarterfinals at Elguna, but the Egyptian had to pull through an impressive test by world number 19, Rafael Candra. And in motor racing, Monaco Grand Prix winner Sergio Perez has extended his contract and will remain with Red Bull until 2024. The Formula One team announced a deal today following the 32-year-old Mexican's victory in the Principality on Sunday. And that wraps up by the May 31st edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sunday Shomari in Washington, and that's the sunny side of sports.